the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the Word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thanks for tuning in. As always, I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, church questions, stuff going on in your life questions, anything and everything. All you need to do is pick up the phone and call. You can dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR, numerically at 630-5757. You can email us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel mobile app. And remember, if you are driving in your car on this cold day, all you have to do is, the best way to call is use the free KSLR mobile app. Just hit the Call Now banner at the top of the screen, and everything else will be hands-free. Because it's Monday, we got some couple things going on. Our ladies' Bible study tonight, uh, also the men, 7 o'clock, our high school and junior high schoolers meet, so you can make it a family affair. Um, ladies, you can watch online at calvaryessay.com. And uh, other than that, boy, did I have a good weekend. Now, nobody's called yet, so I'm going to take a couple minutes and unless somebody interrupts with the call, and that's okay. Uh, I had the, what a uh, weekend's pastors die for. Uh, just a great, great time. Uh, Friday night, of course, we had church here and teaching Revelation. We're in chapter 11 and 12. Uh, but then Saturday, uh, after prayer, we got ready for a wedding. And I had the privilege and the honor of marrying uh, Matthew and Veto. I mentioned it uh, to you on Friday. I asked you to keep them in prayer. Uh, these are kids that literally um, knew they were going to be married in the fourth grade. Uh, I've known Vero for her whole life. Uh, Matthew, since he was six, when he and his family moved to San Antonio. Uh, Matthew has recently been um, um, named a pastor here at Calvary Chapel. He is our high school age pastor. Uh, and so obviously I've seen their lives. And to do that wedding, uh, I was sitting there, and I certainly don't mean to make their wedding all about me, but I was sitting there, and all I could think about, all I could think about was, God, what a life you've given me. I get to be a part of this. I get to share their lives. Uh, I'm watching people who are in the wedding party, and I've known them their whole lives, most of them. And uh, it it was just an amazing thing. It was one of the neatest weddings that I've ever done. And, um, um, boy, the the Lord is really, really good. So we got that done. And uh, they they did a video, uh, sort of an interview, just precious. I mean, it it was really, really great. And then, uh, of course, we had church yesterday, had a special Christmas message. It was a different Christmas message for me, but it was uh, a Christmas message. And then uh, yesterday afternoon, uh, we had our 
annual Christmas dinner. Uh, I don't know how many hundreds and hundreds of people that we had show up, but the place was absolutely packed. We had so much food. Somebody had given us like 28 turkeys. So I was told today that there were turkeys even left over that were able to take over to Universal City, the police and fire department over there and give those out. But man, we had a lot of people and it was just a great time. The church together uh, in fellowship, uh, it was just magnificent. Uh, we we met at Mikulski Hall in church. Uh, it's the first time that we've done anything like that there. And the people there were just great. But but it was just a wonderful time. Uh, you know, things uh, need to be back to normal. And at least here at Calvary Chapel, they were. It was, it was a great, great time. I got to meet a lot of new people. And I'm thrilled. So uh, it's just, again, one of those weekends where you want to say, Jesus, you really love me. Thank you so very, very much. And uh, we got to do that. Well, let me get to some questions and we'll await your phone calls as we get closer and closer to Christmas. The first one is anonymous and he or she wants to know, why are Christians mostly one issue voters? And the issue that he is pointing to is abortion. Uh, Anonymous, I don't think Christians are one issue voters. I think of all of the issues, this is the one that is the most important, but it's certainly uh, in, in terms of scope. 65 million babies have been murdered since the government in this country said that killing children was okay. 65 million. And that's an issue that trumps most others. I mean, we can talk about justice and we can talk about uh, equality. We can talk about things and all of those things are important. But I think by comparison, the idea that, that we can murder children uh, is anathema to those of us who really know Jesus Christ. And, you know, when you think about um, uh, Christians focusing their priority on that one issue, uh, I, I think that just indicates how important this is in the mind and in the heart of God. But we're not one-issue voters at all. Um, it seems to me that much of the left is a one-issue voter. They're pro-killing children. And uh, I, I just think something has to be done. So, Anonymous, I don't know if that's going to satisfy you or not. Um, In our last election, we had a choice to choose between a candidate who is pro-life and a candidate who is pro-murder. And the fact that we chose the pro-life candidate uh, in large numbers as evangelicals uh, doesn't mean that we accept his lifestyle, that we approve his lifestyle, that we think he's... Uh, God's choice to be president just means that on this one issue that is of primary importance, on this one issue, he was the one that most represented the heart of God. And that's why we voted for him. And uh, given the opportunity to do it again, we will do it. Now, let me take just another minute here. Um, I've said many times that anything the government says is okay uh, increases exponentially in terms of its acceptance and use. Um, you know, in, in 2015, gay marriage uh, was a hot issue. Uh, and uh, the government said it's okay. And you've seen what's happened since then. Uh, in the last two or three years, uh, the focus has turned away from the gay agenda to to that of transgenders and suddenly people are coming out of the woodworks well i think i'm born in the wrong body i think i'm really born a man or i'm really born a woman and and i just am trapped in this body that never happened until the government said it was okay and people started approving it and the same thing is true with abortion we have taught an entire generation that it's okay to have sex with people they're not married to and have no consequences because they can end the pregnancy and then just continue life as normal. So I hope that answers your question, Anonymous. Those are very important issues to us. Not the only issues, but they're very, very important issues. Here's a question from Reed. He says, what is meant by the fact that we're made in the image of God? Reed, this is confusing, but it doesn't mean we look like God at all. But there's two primary areas that this refers to. We're made in the image of God, first and I think foremost, insofar as once we are born, we're going to live forever. We're eternal beings. 
That can only be said of God in his creations. Angels are eternal beings. Humans are eternal beings. And, of course, God uh, has always been forever and ever. He's always been eternal. And and the fact that we're made in his image means we're going to live somewhere forever. Now, obviously, read, we choose while we're alive in this life where we're going to live forever. Are we going to live with God? We call that heaven. Are we going to live independent of God? We call that hell. But we're going to live somewhere forever. That's why we Christians are so focused on telling people about Jesus. We want them to make the right choice. The second aspect of being made in God's image means that we have the capacity to choose. Just like God chooses, we choose. And you see, God lives outside of time and space, so he knows what choice we're going to make. He chooses those that he knows are going to choose him. So uh, God has to choose us based on his foreknowledge. And we have to choose God because a God that removes our free will from us, a God that forces us to to be with him, uh, isn't a God of love at all. There's no freedom in that. Uh, Unfortunately, there are consequences to making the wrong choice. But we have to make our choice. And so those are the two primary things. Um, You know, there's a lot of talk now, especially uh, in the progressive Christian camp. And when I say progressive Christian, I think by now most of you know that they're not really Christians. That's their their own labels. But in the progressive Christian camp, um, you know, they're talking, well, we're all image bearers. And that's why we have to accept this person's sinful behavior. We're all image bearers. And that is to completely and totally misunderstand what it means to be made in the image of God. If there were a third thing, and and this isn't one of the two things, but, but if there were, it would be something to do with holiness because God's overarching attribute is holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And I think inside all of us, read, especially when we are young instinctively, We want to be like God. We want to be holy. We want to be approved by God. And the world sort of strips that away from us as we begin to grow and go through the the school system. But those are the two things, Read that that being made in the image of God means we're eternal and means that we have the ability, the freedom to choose. Thank you, Reed. Appreciate the question. 340-9585 340-9585 for your live call in Christian. Here is an anonymous one. Uh, Pastor Ron, I think the vaccine mandate is preparing the way for the mark of the beast. For people who say we should just take the shot, should we also just take the mark because the government says so? Anonymous, I am all for the freedom of choice to take or to reject the vaccine. So don't misunderstand my answer. But your thinking um, is is askew. Your your thinking is unhealthy. Uh, it it almost sounds like you're getting your your Bible education on the internet instead of actually opening your Bible. Um, the vaccine mandate has nothing to do with the mark of the beast. Now you can say it has a lot to do with trying to control people, and who knows? I don't know if you're right or you're wrong. But it has nothing whatsoever to do with the mark of the beast. And we who are responsible Christians need to stop saying this kind of foolishness. When the mark of the beast, by the way, that's only going to occur during the Great Tribulation. We're not in the Great Tribulation. We're not close to the Great Well, we could be close. I hope we're close. But but it, it's it's only effective in, in the in the time of the great tribulation, and the church will be gone. We won't be here during that time. But the mark of the beast will be something that people take knowingly. There won't be any tricks. They won't be deceived. It's not going to be oh I got you. You took the mark. We're going to know, and we're going to know that when we take the mark of the beast, it is a full and final rejection of Jesus Christ. And there are going to be a lot of people who resist taking the mark of the beast. Most of those people are going to be martyred for their faith in Jesus Christ, having been saved after the Great Tribulation begins. But we need to stop being so nonsensical in our thinking. In the last days, the government's going to give you a choice. Lose your head or take the mark of the beast. And there's going to be a lot of brave people who say, if I die, I die. 
just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But nobody is going to be duped or fooled into taking the mark. And we have got to stop. As Christians, it's making us look silly. It's embarrassing. We need to stop making these huge leaps of logic. Because when we do, it just demonstrates that we really don't know what our Bibles say. So no, the vaccine mandate is not preparing the way for the mark of the beast. There may be other motives. I have no comment on that because I don't know what those motives could be. I've tried really hard to figure it out. Why is this such an important issue to to the government? Uh, it's certainly not public health, health or public safety. So I don't know what it is. But I do know that it has nothing to do with the mark of the beast. 340-9585, if you have a question or call. Daniel says, uh, Pastor, and I watched your service yesterday online. And I think it's unrealistic to expect people not to get angry or refuse to forgive others. How can you say that? Um, Daniel, for the benefit of the audience, uh, my message is it was a Christmas message. And uh, it's the first time I've ever done a Christmas message. This was my 27th Christmas message. Uh, and, and it was the first time that I didn't tell the Christmas story. I've always been very clearly led by the Lord to tell the story. But Lord, we know it all. It's the same thing. He'd say, we need to be reminded of the story. And so yesterday I started with John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. And I said, you know, it's always been perplexing to me that we celebrate Jesus' birthday, yet we're the one who gets the gifts. And so what I tried to do was communicate to uh, our church. Now, this was a message delivered to my church. It was, I think, very specifically spirit-led. And um, untimely for us in these last hours of, of these last days. And I said, let's kind of turn the tables. If Jesus gave everything for us, and Paul um, um, exhorts us to, to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, how about we give some things to Jesus? How about for his birthday we give him the gifts that he wants? And I challenged him to give some gifts. I did it out of Colossians chapter 3. And in particular, for Daniel's question, uh, two of the things that I asked the, the church here at Calvary Chapel to be willing to give to Jesus for his birthday is to give up their right to be angry and their right to refuse to forgive others. And I don't think it's unrealistic at all. In fact, at Daniel, the Bible repeatedly tells us the exact same things. Jesus said, if we don't forgive others, we ourselves will not be forgiven. That's frightening to me. In his model for prayer, he was talking, uh, he said, pray like this. And one of, the, one of the, the examples was, Father, forgive me just as I forgive those who sinned against me. And if we're holding on unforgiveness, what we're really asking is that we're not forgiven at all. That's pretty heavy. And I've seen refusing to forgive turn people to bitter, sour, miserable human beings, even many who are real Christians. So what I asked them to do is, would you consider for Jesus' birthday this year to give him the gift of forgiveness? He forgave you of way more than anybody has done to you. So can you say, Jesus, just because I love you, because you want me to forgive Happy birthday, Lord. I'm going to forgive people. And Daniel, the problem is we hold on to unforgiveness. We do it willingly and, and willfully, rather. And the, the result is our prayers can't be heard. Our fellowship with God is broken. It is serious sin. How can we who have been forgiven of so much not be willing to forgive anybody of anything? And so this is one of the things that, that I asked him, would you give that to Jesus in terms of being angry? Daniel, if you watched the message yesterday, you know that I said that this, this is a world, I'm 70 years old, and, and the, the world is angrier than at any time in my lifetime. People fly off the handle into rage. They just, we're, we're angry at home. 
I mentioned yesterday that so many of our our our, our men especially are angry. We we turn up the volume in our homes and we emotionally in the process abuse our wives and children. Do you want to be known as being an angry man or an angry woman? So I asked him, would you give up your right to be angry? Now Jesus was angry a lot. But his was righteous anger. And Daniel, I don't think ours is. So you can say it's unrealistic. But you have not a leg to stand on in terms of the Bible to support that. We're to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. That means when we're getting angry, we have the power. Self-control is the fruit of the Spirit. We have the power not to sin in our anger. That's what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 4. In your anger, anger is real, do not sin. And yet we do it all the time. So Daniel, I don't know how you could think it's unrealistic. But I can tell you this. Ask Jesus to increase your faith. Because this is the way he wants us to live in these last days. He wants us to be light. I talked about kindness and humility. I told the church yesterday, I made the men write it down. Kindness in a man is attractive. Humility in everyone is attractive. If you want people to watch you walk with Jesus... You need to be kind. If you're not kind, you're not with Jesus. Uh, you know, Daniel, if you watched, I said this in the message yesterday, our, our, our theme here at Calvary Chapel has been just be with Jesus. If you're not kind, you're not with Jesus. If you're angry, you're not with Jesus. If you're holding on to unforgiveness, you're not with Jesus. And if you're not with Jesus, you're on your own. And the truth is, we don't do very well on our own. So I think it's it's crucial that we stop settling to giving into the flesh and allow the Holy Spirit to have his way in and through our lives. And it's very important, Daniel, because frankly, our witness is so compromised. People in this world look at Christians and they think, well, they're no better than I am. And while we're no better than anybody else, we ought to act better than other people. And the reason we ought to act better is because we've got the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit living in us. The power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. And Daniel, I'll finish answering the question by saying that power that raised Christ from the dead is enough to control your anger, to forgive other people, to be kind, and then out of Colossians chapter 3, beginning, I think, in the fifth verse, there's just a whole bunch of other things that we talked about. So if anybody's interested in the message, you can go to calvaryessay.com and listen to it. Um, it's a different Christmas message, but I hope the Holy Spirit was pleased. Here is a question. This will be the last one for this half of the program. Jennifer says, Why would God allow Abraham to lay with Hagar when it is sin? Um, Jennifer, I can ask the question of almost any human being. Why would God allow you to sin? Why would he allow you to do things that you know are wrong? The, the idea, he doesn't allow it. He just doesn't stop it. We have the free will to choose and we choose willful sin. Well, that's what Abraham did. This was one of Abraham's worst moments. Uh, Galatians, Paul talks about it all. The, 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 the child of slavery as opposed to the child uh, born in the Spirit of God. Um, Sarah and Abraham's faith failed. God made them a promise. It took 25 years for the fulfillment of that promise. And halfway in between, uh, they got tired of waiting. And in the ancient world, um, Hagar was a result of Abraham's ill-advised trip to Egypt earlier in his life. Uh, she was uh, a servant of Sarah. And in the ancient world, if your servant uh, had a baby uh, with your husband, it was your baby. And Sarah wanted a baby, and she couldn't have one. And even though God promised that from her own body would come a child... 
The truth is that she just got tired of waiting and her faith failed. And Abraham, instead of being the spiritual giant that we know him to be, he had one of those moments where, okay, I'll do this. That's what you want. Are you sure, Sarah, that's what you want? I'm sure he was looking at Hagar and she was young and I'm sure she was beautiful. And of course, we know what the result was. So the only hand God had in this, Jennifer, was not stopping it. And in the same way, he doesn't stop the things that we choose to do. If we want to decide of our own free will to sin, then he's not going to make it impossible to do that. He always makes it possible not to, but he isn't going to make it impossible to do. And he just didn't stop it. And by the way, that isn't Abraham's first sin, nor was it his last. It was just one that had the longest lasting consequences of... uh, any of the other things that he ever did in his life, and we're still struggling with the consequences of that sin. The good news, Jennifer, is Hagar is in heaven, and we're going to be able to see her, and uh, I think it'll be really interesting to get her perspective on things once we're there. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the Monday program. Phones are quiet. We'd love your calls, 340-9585 or toll-free, 877-630-KSLR. This is The Word to Stand Up for Life. We'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our program 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR we just got a question from elise in our email inbox and it broke my heart, so I want to I want to take it right at the top. She says, "I just finished another semester of college. It's been a tough sophomore year so far. I'm struggling with dealing with all my expectations for college and for grades, and not only that, but my overall personality. It feels like that if I am not great and if I accomplish nothing, then I am nothing and will not amount to anything. I could use some advice." Thank you. At least my heart breaks for you. Let me say, first of all, that I think personally, sophomores in college are supposed to be confused. I think you are. It's a very difficult time. You're, you're, you're moving from being a kid into adulthood, and the transition, I think, is supposed to be a struggle. I also think from a Christian perspective, at least, and that's why you're, you're, you're asking me this question, I think from a Christian perspective, um, God is doing a great work in you, even if you can't see it. And here's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get you to rely only on him. You know, if you're struggling with grades and you said that's one of the struggles that you're having, the only thing God wants you to do is to do your best. Do all things as unto the Lord, Paul writes. And as long as you're doing your best, then imagine Jesus' smile. Now, if you're not doing your best, if you're goofing off and you're taking shortcuts, you're not studying, well, then you've got some other issues to deal with. But I imagine you're doing your best. And if your grades don't measure up to your standards, well, guess what? Maybe your standards are too high. You also said that you're struggling with expectations for college. I can promise you one of the things God tries to teach his people, especially at this stage of your life, is not to have any expectations at all. Go to college, do your best, serve and honor Jesus Christ in a very difficult environment to do so, and just see what God's daily grace is going to do for you and what you're going to do through it. So that's the thing you've got to remember. This is a time when God is asking you to take a stand for him. And to do that, remember, do all things as unto the Lord. You do the best that you can. And please don't ever forget who you are in Christ. Because if 
Jesus lives in you, and as a believer, he does, then it's impossible for you to be nothing or to amount to nothing. He has a plan for your life. And at least the one thing I would suggest that you do now uh, with more urgency than anything else is seek God's will for your life. Forget your expectations. Forget the competition for grades. Forget the pressure and the stress. Just simply say, Lord, today, I want to do the best I can for you. Just be with Jesus in your classes. Just be with Jesus in your studies. And every day, you're going to walk right in the middle of his perfect will. And then as college passes by, a junior and a senior year pass by, God's going to make his will for your life more clear. And you're going to look back at the end of all of this, and you're going to say, now I see what you were doing, Lord. And it's in these struggles. And I know nobody, especially me, Elise, nobody likes to struggle. But I can tell you that in this struggle, you will rely more on Jesus than you ever would have had things been going easily. So do your best and be okay with that. You know, when we get pressure from home for grades, we've been been raised all the way through school to, to, to measure up, to get good grades, to get on honor rolls and things like that. Um, Jesus never put any of those standards on us. And all of us have got to get to the point where we're okay doing the best we can. If we can stand before the Lord and say, you know, I did my best. He's not going to say, yeah, but you know, that, that was a B, you should have an A. Or you got to see in this class, what was wrong with you? When he sees that you've done your best, then he's going to say, well done. So I think there's a lot of freedom waiting for you if you'll just sort of let the pressure go. And let the Lord enjoy you. I'll be praying for you, Elise. I know how difficult it is, but remember, it's supposed to be difficult. It's supposed to be a challenge. Thanks, and I pray things get better. Let's go to Alan on line one from San Antonio. Alan, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. Hi. Remember me? I, I, I do, I Alan. How are you there. doing? Hi. Oh, I'm struggling. Um, struggling all right, and uh, but uh, uh, but my faith is is in good shape and. Uh, Good. Praise Jesus, and I'm glad you had that um, wonderful weekend you talked about, um, oh. that you uh, married those people and you had a nice yeah. time there. Yeah, it was the best, Alan. Yeah, it's great. It's great. Um, I was uh, just going to of course, I have a million questions. I don't always have time to call for these things, though, but just the first question that came to my mind was that... Um, why don't um, when when, when uh, uh, is it true when Catholics have they have a lot of healing stories about healing uh, the physical healing uh, all the time and uh, and Protestants don't have it and um, I don't I never understood uh, how Catholics have the healing and Protestants really don't have it and <laughs> what really happens and is it is it real or does it fade away or uh, I guess that's pretty much what I was going to ask you, and it's probably not a real thorough question, but anyways, maybe you, you um, understand the question okay. Yeah, I do, Alan. Thank you very, very much. Uh, you know, I've actually been to the Basilica in South Texas, and as you walk into it, there's all kinds of, of wheelchairs and crutches and all kinds of things that people left there because... Supposedly, they were healed. They were touched by God. Alan, that kind of nonsense is the same everywhere. It doesn't matter whether it's in a a prosperity church where people are claiming they're healing and they're falling down and they're jumping around. Well, 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 I can walk now and I couldn't walk all those things. Um, Those aren't the kind of healings that the Bible describes. And I've seen at that basilica people on their knees in line waiting to get in you know, they're, they're, they're suffering. It's sort of their way of saying, okay, well, I'm going to suffer. So when I get in there, God will heal me. And, and, and the truth is, Alan, they don't know the Lord. Those healings aren't real. Uh, and the rare occasion when somebody actually is 
physically healed by the Lord. They, they're they completely healed. And those are the kind of things that today there is just no documentation at all. If those healings were real, uh, they would be front page news stories. They would be on, on uh, all over the Internet. And I'm talking about real stories of healing, not this silliness that you see. Um, so so uh, remember, what people claim and what's true are two different things. And we so want to believe, especially when we're hurting physically. I think, Alan, when I'm hurting physically, um, um, those are the hardest times in my life. And I don't have the really serious things, of course. But, you know, sometimes our, our, our pain... The misery is such that we want to hold on to any hope and we so desperately want to believe. And sadly, most of those people um, on the other side of that healing, they find out that, that they weren't really healed at all. So, Alan, I hope that answers your question. It's just not real. It's just more of the, the religious nonsense that uh, is, is attendant literally in every religion. God still heals just not like the way those people say he does. Thanks, Alan. I'm glad you're okay. Good to hear from you again. We miss you. Here is a question from Leon. And he wants to know if people will get saved during the Great Tribulation. Yeah, Leon, uh, the biggest revival um, by far in the history of the world is going to happen during the Great Tribulation. Uh, led by the two witnesses at the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem, and then sort of the 144,000 witnesses that 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 are sent out into the, the whole world. They're sent out sealed or protected by God, and they're given supernatural power. They're going to be the greatest evangelists ever, and in the midst of all that misery, uh, there's going to be uh, multiplied millions of people who get saved. Now, they're, they're, they're going to die for their faith. Almost all of them will die because they gave their heart to Jesus Christ. But yeah, people will get saved from every tribe and nation and language everywhere. Uh, and it's, it's, it's going to be a really exciting time. I always say, Leon, that it's going to be such an exciting time that I almost wish I was going to be there during the Great Tribulation. Almost because I want to be with Jesus. And, of course, we who are Christians are not going to be uh, in the Great Tribulation. But, you know, it's kind of what we all pray for when we're praying for revival. Um, we want the Holy Spirit to move one more time. And to see that happening would be absolutely amazing. It's just going to be such a dark and dreary time um, that, believe me, when the people who do get saved are either martyred for their faith or or die of other causes, um, it's going to be a relief. Death will be a relief. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. And we really, really need to remember that. And and death will be a relief. You know, one of the amazing things about the Great Tribulation is that there's going to be a time, uh, the second woe, in fact, when when um, uh, people want to die and and they can't. And those are the unsaved people. Those are the people that are rebelling against God. Things are going to be so bad that they're going to want to kill themselves. And Jesus, Jesus, who is the the um, the Lord over over the spirit world, he's not going to let their spirits leave the body. Imagine somebody shooting himself in the head. The head gets half blown off, and yet they're still alive and conscious of everything. The spirit simply won't leave the body. That's how dark, that's how horrible it's going to be during the Great Tribulation. And for those who are um, have come to faith in Jesus Christ during that time, the idea that they will uh, be able to die and go into the presence of the Lord is more than appealing. How long, O oh Lord, till you avenge our bodies, those are the martyred tribulation saints, uh, under the altar crying out to God. Thank you. Appreciate the question. Nancy says, Isn't it possible that someone who rejects Jesus in this life will get another chance in the next life? 
I declare my throat. So, uh, isn't it possible that someone who will re- who rejects Jesus in their life in this life will get another chance in the next life? To me, that sounds like God's character. Nancy, um, uh, it's not God's character. Um, Hebrews nine twenty seven says it's appointed unto man to die once and then face the judgment. So there's no second chances now. There's plenty of second chances while we're still alive. Uh, you can reject Jesus today and receive him tomorrow. And if you're still alive tomorrow, praise the Lord. That's that's exactly what he wants. He loves the fact that, that people are, are coming to him. But to give people another chance, that doesn't sound at all like God's character. That more sounds like our emotions, doesn't it? Especially if we've lost somebody. And we're not sure if they're in heaven. Well, maybe God will give them a second chance. That makes us feel better emotionally. But the truth is, Nancy, if there is no justice, if there is no judgment, if hell is not real, then the God of the Bible is not God at all. And we're all lost in our sins. So they have to be holy and just. And if we reject Jesus Christ, then we're going to get finally what we deserve. Instead of getting grace, which is not only not getting what we deserve, but getting a whole lot of stuff that we we don't deserve. So it's important. You know, again, I understand emotionally it feels really, really good to think that maybe somehow everybody's going to get a chance to go to heaven. Uh, But that's not true. Luke chapter 16 is a good example of the story Jesus tells about Lazarus and the rich man. The rich man wanted another chance. He didn't get it. Neither will we. So Nancy, I hope that helps a little bit. Let's go to our friend Ruben from Seguin. Ruben, thanks for calling. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Pastor Ron. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, uh, I have a comment, a question, and a prayer request. Not going to take long, I promise. Okay. Um, The comment is your intro and outro. And I told you about uh, the female that speaks. Um... The other day, last week, of course, I've heard it every day when I listen to your show, but I, like, heard it for the first time spiritually, the part that she said, fall in love with the Bible, and you'll fall in love oh, with yeah. Jesus. Yeah. I never looked at it that way. And <laughs> now that I've been reading the Bible more and more, I read it with a, a fervor that I've never had before. Not that I didn't do it, not that it wasn't important to me before, but after I heard that, it snapped, something snapped in my head and said, Reuben, you fall in love with the Word of God, and you have the Word of God, just like David said, your word have I written on the tables of my heart. I think that's what he said. Um, And that's what I want. I want to write, I say tattoo the table, the the Word of God on the tables of my heart, because to me, metaphorically, tattoos are permanent. You know what I mean, yep. and then, and then that's what I I start praying. I said, Lord, let, and I've 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 noticed that things have just started changing more and more and more. Even though I still have problems, even though I have I still have I still have uh, uh, issues and things, but they don't encompass me anymore and hold me down anymore as I read the word of God and I see what he does and I see what he says and I hear it and I read it for the first time. It's like, you know, like I'm reading it for the first time again and I'm just like, wow, I never understood that. So (laughs) I just, for the the audience who doesn't know what you're talking about, let me explain very quickly before we get to your question. Um, That's, that's May Cruzado. That's pastor Ken's wife who does our intro and outro announcements on our program. And that's not this program, but that's the, the, the teaching program that we have on KSLR and on KDRY here in town and in other, other markets all over the country as well. And, and the idea when, when we came up with that was simply, uh, if you want to get to know somebody, you got to invest in it. And the only way we can get to know Jesus is in his word. And it just made sense to me. If you fall in love with the word, with the Bible, then then the, the result of that will be that you'll fall in love with Jesus. And uh, what a blessing it is for you to to uh, to tell your story. Thank you very, very much. What's your question? Thank you. Um, okay, I just finished the book of John. And uh, 
the last few chapters, they're really, really good. I loved them. But I have a question, and I know you've been asked this a thousand times. Um, when they brought uh, the the prostitute or the adulteress to Jesus, and they wanted you know Jesus to do something, I, mean, I do believe that they were just trying to trick him again or something. Mm-hmm. But then Jesus bent down, as as we know, and he wrote something on the ground. I the way that I took it is that he took a little while to write whatever he wrote, uh, and then he said, you know, nobody nobody was there after when he stood up, and he asked the lady, "Where are your accusers?" And she said, "They've all gone." And then that's what he said. Well, you know, then I don't I don't uh, um, condemn you either. So go and don't sit anymore. But then he went mm-hmm. back down and wrote something again. Do we know? what he wrote and why he wrote and what if any um are there any spiritual significance to that or any kind of any kind of uh, significance to why he did that okay i'll answer that question after you give us your prayer request okay um i don't know if i told you my dad uh has been in the nursing home the past eight months because he had a Mm -hmm. small stroke and He's been having trouble walking. Well, he's getting out tomorrow, so I just want oh, to to see if I yes, if I get some prayer requests. I'm in prayer for him that he will be fine and he will not fall again or have anything wrong, and that uh, we will spend Christmas and New Year's uh, together again. How nice! How nice! Thanks, Ruben. I'll answer your question, and uh, I'll be okay. praying for you, Dad. God bless you. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. The Thank question you. in the question, John, is significant, but we we don't know the honest answer. The quick answer is, we don't know what Jesus wrote. I think we have a clue, though. The fact that he says, and they began from the oldest to the youngest to leave. I think what Jesus did is he kneeled down and started to write in the sand. Um, um, a, a quick background. Th- this was a woman who was, um, well, let's just say that she was promiscuous. And I'm certain that the man that she was having sex with um, was a setup. The man, of course, was off scot-free. They didn't bring the man to Jesus. They just brought the woman. And uh, I, I think um, she was probably a prostitute and and a lot of the people in the crowd um, had relations with this woman. So when Jesus knelt down, I think he started with the oldest in the crowd, and perhaps what he wrote, maybe a name, maybe a date, that this person had relations with this woman, sinful relationships with this woman. And you know, they're all fired up, stoner, stoner, that's what the law says to do. And Jesus wrote, and they come look at the note and say, oh, there's my name. That's the date I was with that woman. So, oh, uh, excuse me, I got to go now. And and I think he did that. And they, they began to leave. I think when they saw what he wrote, it convicted them that they were worth or guilty of an offense worth stoning or being stoned for as well. And so at the end, when there was nobody left, and he looked at the woman and he said, woman, where are your accusers? And she said, there aren't any. And he says, well, neither do I accuse you. Now go and sin no more. I think um, what he was doing was simply allowing her to be forgiven of her sins. And now she had a choice to make. You know, we don't know that she was saved, as we would understand being saved. Uh, But the choice to make was simple. The man who saved my life. Am I going to obey him and I'm going to go and sin no more? I'm going to return to the old life. And we don't have any record of what choices that she made. But I am certain, Reuben, that Jesus convicted each and every one of those men from the oldest to the youngest of their own particular sin. And I think a lot of them with this very same woman. So thanks, Reuben. And we will be praying for your father. Three four zero ninety. Well, we don't have time for a phone call now, so let me give uh, go to the next question. We've got three minutes. Boy, this half hour went fast. Philip said, "Is it intelligent to believe that Adam and Eve were the first people on the earth ever?" Um, Philip, I don't know if you're a college student or somebody's challenging your intellect because you believe the Genesis account, but the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We know that from the Book of Proverbs. Uh, I think the most intelligent thing you can do is to believe every word of the Word of God. Every word. And so my answer is, 
Yes, it's intelligent. And people who know nothing about God are going to make you try to feel silly for believing it. But I want you to think about this. If Adam and Eve were not the first two people on the earth, if they were not, then we're all lost. Why? Because every major doctrine of the Christian church falls apart. If Adam and Eve were not the first two people on the earth, Jesus lied to us. And if Jesus lied to us, he can't be our Savior. So, would your college professor say it's intelligent? Probably not. Oh, you you believe that. But see, this is where you have to make a choice, Philip. Are you going to believe the Word of God? Or are you going to believe critics who haven't even examined the Word of God? Who don't know anything about it? As for me, Philip, if Jesus said Adam and Eve were the first two people on earth, then I think there's nothing smarter in the world to believe than that. And I'm okay if people call me stupid. God chose the foolish things of the world to confuse the wise, the weak things to shame the strong, the things that are not. That's who I am. And I'm okay if people don't think I'm smart. As long as Jesus knows I believe him, then I'm fine with that. So yeah, I think it is the smartest thing that anyone can do. And the answer, Philip, is they were the first two people on the earth. And we have that on the authority of Jesus himself. How am I doing? Do I have time for another question? Uh, nope. Okay, don't... Oh, there's the music. I don't have time for another question. Uh, Alan called back uh, asking for me to keep him in my prayers. Alan, I will do that for you. God bless you. It was good to hear from you. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I know you're all busy with Christmas season. Uh, Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.